Welcome to We Flew Off the Page. I'm Muhammad Seven, and I'm here to do my very favorite thing in the world. Talk to great songwriters about how they do what they do. In each episode, we'll dive into the little details of two of my guests' songs, which I'll play for you. The songwriter has chosen one of their songs, and I have agonized over and selected the other from their catalog of wonderful music. This week's episode is brought to you by The Chorus. Though it has many aliases, including the refrain and the hook, the chorus isn't trying to hide. It's usually the part of the song that shouts out, I'm accessible and recognizable, and I'm so good you're going to hear me multiple times. The chorus plays a crucial role in songs, uh, starting with breaking up the verses to provide some variety in our song structure. To show my appreciation for the chorus's sponsoring of today's show, I'm going to play you the chorus of a song I have not yet recorded. It's called Thursday in the City. Well, I never liked that song till I heard you sing it There's something about the way you see the world When I look out my window, it's just Thursday in the city When you look out, the universe unfurls Speaking of recording songs, we used to buy an artist's album for $15 or $20. Now $10 a month gets you every album ever made through streaming. How does that math work? Well, it doesn't. It means that all music is now basically free, and independent artists are having to find other ways to make a living. For many of us, that includes crowdfunding in a strange land called Patreon. If you like what I do on the podcast and on records, consider supporting my work for as little as a dollar a month. Find my Patreon at patreon.com slash Muhammad7, which is in the show notes, on my website, on the link tree. We're still a new podcast here at We Flew Off the Page. We're small but mighty, and it will help a lot if you can also review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you do, I might read your review at the end of the show. And lastly, you can share We Flew Off the Page with a friend and win my undying gratitude. Now, who doesn't want that? Well, I'm coming to you as always from the Finger Lakes of Central New York. My guest today is broadcasting from their home studio in the state I grew up in, good old Massachusetts. Today I'm talking to songwriter, activist, and educator Pamela Means, who has been compared to Tracy Chapman and Ani DeFranco. She's been described as a cross between Suzanne Vega and Jimi Hendrix, and as heir to the legacy of Nina Simone. But in the end, she is undeniably herself. Pamela Means, welcome to We Flew Off the Page. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Pamela, sometimes I do a segment on this show that I call Liberation Toolkit, where I ask my guests about the ways they use music to change the world. Um, the real secret of this show is that I invite brilliant people on so I can steal their good ideas <laughs> uh, in terms of songwriting process, in terms of activism, and, well, anything else I'm lucky enough to learn from them. Anyhow, your work is so steeped in human liberation I think our whole talk might just be one long liberation toolkit segment, which makes me very happy. Um, I'm not sure exactly how to phrase this first question, but it's something like, what is your experience of being a musician who's trying to talk to people about oppression and liberation? What is my experience? Um, I suppose the, the worst things get in our society the more my phone rings. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I'm grateful for that. I'd, I'd prefer to be unemployed from that perspective. Um, my, <laughs> right, right. If if uh, if we succeed, you're going to put yourself out of business. <laughs> and I, I don't think that. Um, yeah, that's the ultimate goal: put, right. put myself out of business. Let's <laughs> make me change careers. <laughs> um, I think that I I do not think about. It's a paradox. I don't think about the audience or the listener in the beginning hmm. uh, because I believe that the process of writing should be completely uh, uncensored and unfiltered, raw, ugly, if it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the The truth as it is. And... You know, then maybe I, you know, then the challenge as a songwriter is to, you know, make it rhyme and put a little bit of a groove to it. And, but if, especially the things that I write about and think about, if I stop to think about how is someone going to hear this, I wouldn't get very far. So I have to be my own uh, bulldozer or steamroller in a sense and just plow through whatever. Mm might hold me back if I stopped to think about it. And, um, it's really interesting. My inspiration comes from, um, writers like James Baldwin, Audre Lorde, Bell Hooks, specifically those three in the beginning, because they were very straightforward and they just speak the truth. And, uh, regardless of risk or, uh, how it is received, uh, because the speaking the truth is necessary, and I find it necessary for my own sanity and integrity, and uh, so I just start from there and know that it needs to be heard. And most of the time, people aren't going to want to hear it, but mm. I don't care. <laughs> it's not going to get fixed unless we talk about things and shine a light on those dark things. Yeah. Um, yeah, given, given your body of work, all of the things you're saying, uh, I mean, it makes sense. It really shines through in what you're doing, exactly what you're saying. Um, I, I like that you're, um, both, you're, you're acknowledging two ends of, 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 of part of the challenge here. The, the fact that on the one hand, you're deciding, I kind of don't, not I kind of, I, I don't care how people feel about this. But on the other hand, you're also acknowledging the fact that you, you can't completely block out your feelings about how the audience might receive it, right? You're sort of, you said something about, was it being a bulldozer? You're sort of, you got to put your head down at some level, is what you're saying, and just, and block out whatever, what is it? It's not your ego exactly, it's, but you know, whatever fears you might have of, of uh, you know, especially you know, for you, I imagine as a visible black woman in the world, getting up in front of people and saying um, controversial things um, sometimes, that, that there, there must be a feeling of, um, vul- a, a very vulnerable feeling there sometimes. And so it seems like those two things are, are different ends of the spectrum in the experience. Right. Uh, 
I, I don't care what you think, but I want everybody to hear my message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. There's and a contradiction. And take it in and sit with it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, I also think inside of that is, and what I learned from Audrey Lord, Bell Hooks, James Baldwin, um, and it's true across all all art um that is you know we all experience the same spectrum of human emotion mm-hmm. and those uh it's delivered in different experiences vastly different experiences but we all experience despair rage sorrow joy mm-hmm. love and so if you can touch those emotions in your art then there is the potential for it to be received by anyone and everyone and that is my goal Mm. as well as everything else is to distill whatever i have to say into the raw you know seven emotions and then spit it back out and uh you know it has a greater chance um of reaching someone and even if it doesn't then I still can stand by it because I've put my own truth into it. I wasn't pretending or trying to do something. I was just, this is what it is. Yep. And and some of us don't have the luxury to ignore how it is in the world, in this country, in our neighborhood. Right. And uh, I'm one of those people. (laughs) Right. Um. Wonderful. Um, I'm also a political songwriter. Um, I also think a lot about reaching people, you know, like opening up a conversation and not shutting it down um, in, in my life, but also in my music. And it's interesting. Um, I think I still am a little bit shy about really speaking my mind for fear of you know, I mean, I speak my mind in my songs. I say a lot, of, you know, I, I am in many ways an overtly political songwriter, but but I get nervous about um, preaching to the choir. I get nervous about shutting down the conversation, you know, by sort of coming coming in too hot, too harsh, too specific, too, you know, too on a particular political thread. And, um, and but but I think, you know, I'm trying to think about it, but I think it also keeps me small in some ways, you know, because I sort of, in some ways I haven't got the guts to do it, but in other ways I'm sort of trying to think about um, bringing my audience together as opposed to dividing them, you know, it's like these are the, this is sort of my cutting, personal cutting edge. I think it's, I loved hearing about what you said about those three uh, black writers and um, about the, our common human threads that you're reaching for, um, because I think in your songs you are, from, from, from my perspective as a listener, you seem not afraid to say, you know, real things with no sugarcoating and no, you know, without hiding anything. Um, anyway, I'm inspired by the, the path that you've carved out there. Um, you, comp- you spoke on this a little bit. You sort of mentioned this, but uh, I... Um, I think that writing songs about oppression and our history, about politics, can be such a challenge because the songwriter has to do a balancing act between communicating information and ideas and weaving them together with poetry, melody, rhythm, 
in a way that, you know, I think we all intend to touch and inspire our audiences. Um, and so I'm just curious, you know, in terms of craft, you know, as a writer, what's, what's that process like for you, you know, marrying the message with, with the art? Well, <clears throat> I did learn something um, on my album, Single Bullet Theory, stumbling in, I, I stumbled into it. Um, I don't know what happened. It was probably many things at once, but I, you know, I also um, was a very shy person, uh, very shy on stage in the beginning. I used to not talk <laughs> between songs. I just be like, this next song is called Fuck You. <laughs> like, just wail into something and shred on my guitar and then retreat, shred, retreat, shred. And, um, you know, I've worn a hole and two guitars from aggressive strumming. <laughs> yeah. And you had a very physical play I'm style. Proud, I'm proud of that. I, I worked hard for that. Uh, but along the line... And I had, oh, she's she's so angry. She's got such angry songs. Angry, angry. Which sure. is un annoying. True, but it's annoying. It's reductive. Yep. Um, and it's racist. Absolutely. You know? um, and sexist. But I learned that I could let the song do more of the heavy lifting than the, and I mean, I think I mean, Lyrically, like I mm. had some, my political songs have very pointed lyrics, more and more so as they've evolved, but I learned that I could just let that do the work. Mm. I didn't have to have a super aggressive, look at me, I'm so pissed off right now, um, chord progression around it. I mean, I, I would and I will if it's appropriate, but I kind of learned... I could sneak it in a little, just lay back and just have a nice little groove. Yeah. And some people have commented, you know, I'm grooving to your tune, and then I'm like, wait a minute, what did she just say? <laughs> like, go back and catch some of the lyrics. So um, a lot of my songs since Single Bullet Theory have not lost their weight lyrically, mm -hmm. perhaps even gained more, but um, the, the musical vehicle that they're delivered in has changed a lot and expanded a lot and um i didn't see that coming but i welcome that and i think that opens more doors for a listener too you know, or potential listeners what was it about that for the recording of, or, the, or the writing of that record that brought that insight it was just a, a song that I wrote from that, and that song has a mix of both the things on both ends of myself that I am talking about, the aggressive strumming, um, a tune called The Devil's Henchman, um, and then there's also a song called Amen, and that's the song I'm talking about, Amen, which I wrote about um, the the laws that the, the Patriot Act that was passed after 9-11, and all of the new bullshit rules, intrusive government, whatever, whatever, um, spying on your neighbor kind of stuff, which accelerated the division that we see today, I think. Um, but it was already on its way.
but yeah. I wrote a tune about that, about the Patriot Act, and it's very pointed. I name names, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's got a very bouncy beat. It's not. It's not um, a f- in your face right. musically, right? And um, so that tune was a sort of a pivot, a pivot point where I thought, oh, I can still say all this, but kind of uh, 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 uh. right. <laughs> Let it hang. What an interesting discovery and observation. You know, it's kind of like power comes in lots of forms and faces and styles. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I'm not very pop, but I could be a little more pop-leaning and still be just as heavy as sure. I have been. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. I firmly believe that the pers- personal is always political, and, yeah. you know, as such a visible political songwriter, I'm wondering what you think is your most personal song, or or one of your most personal songs. Um, I mean, they're all, they're all personal. I I probably, you know, I have a tune called Hotel Pocatello that will be on my next project. That's Mm -hmm. sort of a, a breakup looking in the rearview mirror kind of song. It's very personal, very proud of it. Mm. Um, Of things that I've released already, especially from the album Plainfield, probably my brother was. um, Obviously, yeah. A beautiful song. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, that's about my brother who committed suicide in 08. And um, that's still very personal. But again, we all experience loss. So it's, it is and it isn't. And it's the, I believe it's the job of the artist to walk through the fire and to sit in the muck and then spit it back out so that other, you know, the rest of us can kind of have something to hold on to or a little pocket flashlight to <laughs> make way through <laughs> all this terror, terror of being a human. Oh, so beautifully said. Uh, and I think the, the, the first track on Plainfield, Black Bear, Mm-hmm. It's also very personal. I, you know, uh, I'm a queer person, lesbian, and it took me a long time to come out uh, personally, mm-hmm. and uh, even longer to come out in my art. Mm-hmm. And even though I already had before that song, that song was more of a, another leap forward. And yeah, I'm not going to be afraid to talk about this either. Yeah. Well, spoiler alert, Black Bear is the song of yours that I have chosen. (laughs) (laughs) I love that song. So uh, we'll listen to that in just a minute. Uh, But I have one last question, which is um, I saw that uh, Passim, famous uh, club 
passing the famous folk club in Cambridge where you and I have both spent some real time. In fact, you're playing there February 1st, um, which this episode will actually air after February 1st, unfortunately for listeners. You've missed that show if you missed that show. Um, but uh, they have a terrific lineup for a black folk festival called We Black Folk uh, yeah. coming up. Um, so I'm going to ask you a few questions. I'm going to ask you a few questions, few versions of this question. You can choose which one you want to answer. In lieu of that festival, I'm wondering if you have any advice for new songwriters or if you have particular advice for black new songwriters or black female songwriters or if you have advice for new songwriters of color, whichever version of that song of that question seems more interesting to answer. Well, I would go back to what inspired me to walk the path that I have been on as a songwriter, which is to uh, be honest, not to be afraid to be vulnerable. There's strength and vulnerability. There's universality and vulnerability. And, you know, we have the... We as people of color, as queer people, as anything outside of the shrinking mainstream, <laughs> yep. we have a, a unique perspective of the real truth in our country and our world. And it's vital to continue to uh, reveal and to speak those truths so that collectively we can have conversations over division and work towards healing mm -hmm. and true community. So that's what I would say. And to be yourself because there is only one you and the truth of you, you can, you're the only one who can bring that forward. So. Mm. I like the way you talk about things. No wonder your songs are so good. <laughs> All right, well, now we'll listen to our first song of yours, which is the one that I've chosen. And again, it is Black Bear from your 2016 album, Plainfield. Dating many 
man a long, long time ago. All I say, I ain't doing that no more. My guitar don't back talk or lie. I'm a little player and she's my guide. Black bear gone. Black bear gone. Black bear gone. Black bear boogie on. Again, that was Black Bear by my guest, Pamela Means. So on this newest listen, I heard some new things um, that were mostly musical. So are you playing in an open tuning on this song? Yes, open C. Open C, uh, awesome. And somehow I didn't really notice on my previous listens, like almost the whole second half is like an instrumental. You know, there's a chorus in between it. But it's... And... Um, it's really cool because it's such a, there's so much going on lyrically in this song. And then again, the chorus does, you know, come back in, in the second two minutes of the four minute song. But um, there's so much energy. Uh, I think I was so focused on the lyricism, I didn't really notice how much energy there is in those two kind of strumming open solos. Um, anyway, I just find them unique and <laughs> And, and, you know, it's, it's, the first half of the song is so powerful with, the, with all of the verses, and, and you really back it up, and, and the back end really carries on, um, you know, musically with, with a, a similar energy. I don't, I don't know. I, I find it interesting and, and unusual. It does have a little um, breakdown. Yeah. Uh, uh, my, I, the first half of my discography 
I had I had no choruses or very few, very few sections that repeated themselves because I thought that was cheesy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was an artist. And, mm-hmm. Um, but I would sort of have a an instrumental section maybe that repeated itself uh, as a sort of chorus and. Interesting. All the songs from Plainfield were written uh, when I was, I'd stopped touring and started therapy and was in my head a lot and wanted to stay on top of my creative stuff. And uh, so Peter Mulvey and Joe Panzetta, his former bandmate, our old friend, the three of us formed a songwriting circle. And so for two and a half years, we each would write a song and email it to each other on a Tuesday. And we each wrote over a hundred songs. And um, so Plainfield are the best of the best of that batch of a hundred songs. And in that process of writing a, a song a week, pretty much we skipped some weeks, but or I would write the same song for four or five weeks in a row. James Madison came about that way. Um, I thought, well, I guess I've proved my point that I don't have to write a chorus, and I have realized that all of my favorite music has a chorus, <laughs> <laughs> including Joni Mitchell and <laughs> Prince yeah. and anybody that I could list that wasn't a jazz instrumental, and even a jazz instrumental standard has a chorus that you swing back to, and there are lyrics with a chorus that you go back to. So yep. I, I realized that, and I thought, oh, yeah. And also, I had a long stretch of people saying, can you play that one song where you, you, I don't know the name of it. You kind of talk, you do that. You talk about the thing <laughs> and there's no reference, mm-hmm. you know, because right. there's nothing that they could sing along to. Right. And so I, I gave in on that point and thought that uh, I could, I guess here I am thinking about the audience now, bring more people in. Sure. Or make my music a little more accessible. Yep. By just singing a chorus, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and so I committed from that that point on that I would never write a song that didn't have a chorus. Wow. And, and so Black Bear is probably the last, and Tuesday Come Early on that album are the last songs I've written without a chorus. Well, actually, Black Bear does have a chorus. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Yep. But it has that long instrumental break, so that's probably like the teasing a part of, okay, I'm going to do it this way now. <laughs> <laughs> right, oh, it right, represents a, sure, a, a yeah. changing, sure. Um, in the first verse, uh, you use the word pulchritudinous, which yeah. is a gutsy songwriting move. I had to look it up. Uh, assuming there are others out there who aren't using pulchritudinous on a daily basis, it means beautiful. <laughs> is that right? It means beautiful? It means beautiful on the outside. Ah, it means beautiful on the outside. Okay. A very important distinction. Not oh, just yeah. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful on the outside. Ah. Which suggests what? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that, that was a dictionary.com word of the day. Which I used <laughs> a, a good half a dozen times in my career. Oh, that's great. Well, I was going to ask what made you want to start out with a word with so, such literary weight 
in this song, but it seems like maybe I have my answer. But go ahead and answer. Yeah, I was just messing with the dictionary.com word of the day. Um, in, in the middle of whatever I was, you know, what I was writing about that yep. particular relationship. Yeah. Sure. Um, I love the chorus, which again is Black Bear Gone, Black Bear Boogie On. It's a striking piece of poetry, and I get three strong, I get three strong feelings from it. First is, you know, how you're referring to yourself or the narrator as Black Bear, um, which is so rich with metaphor in that I hear you as an African heritage person, you as a female, you as proud and strong. But in the context of the song, being a bear to me has a, a solitary quality as well. Um, and then you make these two statements, Black Bear Gone is such a, a great statement. To me, it's a mic drop, a real expression of power. Um, but at the same time, it carries the sadness of love lost, something I have certainly written plenty about. Um, but then you follow it, up, follow it up with Black Bear Boogie On, which balances out the chorus so nicely. It takes the gravity of you as a black bear and lets us know that as you move through life with loss, you've held on to fun and joy. You're not, you know, you're not trudging forward. You're boogieing on is, is my read. It's sort of the way I feel about that course. So anyway, any comments about that? Uh, that's all nice. Um, I think that's true. I think uh, humor, humor and the guitar have helped me be on the planet this long. Mm. Um, you know, and... I think the black bear touches on all those things you mentioned and also just the sort of uh, lumbering on its own, you know, lumbering across the road into the woods, just... <laughs> <laughs> and when I lived in Plainfield, the first time I saw black bears just out, you know, running around, running across the yard. Um, fortunately, I was always inside or in the car when I saw them, but uh, I think all those things probably came together, and there was a very, when I lived in Plainfield, I was healing from a, a lot of loss and uh, heartbreak, and I was, uh, I was alone, and lonely at times, and isolated, and very introspective, and actually very dark times of starting therapy, and um, starting to uh, <clears throat> peel back and explore onion layers of my life and uh, unexamined grief and trauma and all the places that went. And uh, so, yeah, I was in it when I when I wrote that song. So, I don't think I had the perspective of. I don't think I thought about much what I meant. Those words just came out. Mm -hmm. And I might have thought about them later. And in fact, my my ex one day was talking about that song. And she said, well, that's you, though. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's me. <laughs> so. <laughs> so it was me, and I was also detached uh, right. in a way. Right, but when you have the language of songwriting, sometimes that's it, it can work independently from your consciousness and from the yeah. from the words that you have to put to something. Uh, yeah, that you can. I've read many things and then gone back later and were like, "Oh, maybe is that what I meant?" 
<laughs> right. <laughs> right. We kind of intuitively find these. You don't have to truths. know. Just write. Right. Right. You know? Oh. Get get out of the way. Something's coming through. Speaking of good advice. Um, there's something lovely about the final verse. Um, my guitar don't backtalk or lie. I'm a little player and she's my guide. You've taken us through three kinds of difficult relationships and now you're presenting your partnership with your guitar, which mm-hmm. might have seemed melancholy or, or, or lonely since a guitar is not a person. It doesn't land that way to me. There's something lovely and exciting about the fact that this you know, final lover is actually right there in the room with you. You're playing it, and in a sense, she's playing you, I think is what you're saying here. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what I said, something's coming through, so get out of the way. Right. And the guitar is an, another appendage. It's an extension of myself. It's been a, a beacon, uh, a life raft, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been how I... My, it is a, a pen and paper in itself. It's a way how I process and examine and discover myself, my thoughts, my feelings. It's how I get through the other side of troubling things. Um, and it, it is true. It doesn't lie to me. <laughs> it doesn't play games or it doesn't mind fuck me. It's a, it's a uh, fucking guitar. Yeah. And, and it's there to, to offer so much more than I can I have even discovered yet. Mm. But if mm. I sit with it, you know, she'll talk to me. Yeah. When did you get your first <laughs> guitar? Um, I've had a, to- I've had toy guitars since I was probably eight. And then I borrowed a real guitar with six strings on it and everything when I was 14. And had some lessons at the Y I taught myself until uh, I was 18, and then I started to study classical guitar at the Wisconsin Conservatory. Ah. That was one of the best choices I ever made. Wow. And um, in the middle of that, began to study jazz, which I wasn't ready for at the time, but it planted some seeds, and I went back later. Oh, so cool. And when did you write your first song with lyrics? Well, I was writing poems, poems, um, in my single digits, and in adolescence, writing really bad, cliche, cheesy songs. I had my little binder, I had my little songs, and then I wouldn't show anybody. (laughs) Uh, And then the first song I wrote that wasn't so terrible, it's called If I Were, and it's on uh, my first album. And that's the first song I wrote. I was um, probably 20 or something like that. And that's the first song that seemed to just come out of nowhere. Mm. I was like, whoa, oh, <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> and it's still a very special song. I thought they were all going to come that way. Uh, <laughs> sadly, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> what a great story, though. All right, well, now we will play the song that you chose. All right, actually, full disclosure, this is unusual, but you offered four different songs, 
and I chose this of the four songs that you chose. It's James Madison, also from your 2016 album, Plainfield. Spirit men, some grew hemp on the plantations. All had slaves, they didn't free them. All had slaves, and some fucked them. Jimmy James Madison didn't give two shits about anyone. Polk's manifest destiny didn't work out for the Cherokee. The purpose of the government is to protect the minority Of the opulent from the majority Two-party systems seem like one gold at the top And the rest are rickety-rickety rungs We got greed and idiocy And embarrassment to everyone With any sense of decency The purpose of the government Is to protect the minority Of the opulent from the majority The purpose of the government Is to protect the minority of the opulent from the majority. Prime perverts police populations, prisons populate. Prophets, predictions, politicians salivate Ellsberg, Manning, Snowden, Davis Heroes and dissidents We all could use a daily dose Of civil disobedience We all could use a daily dose Of civil disobedience The purpose of the government Is to protect the minority Of the opulent from the majority the purpose of the government is to protect the minority of the opulent from the majority James Madison by my guest Pamela Means. So again, this is really interesting. Um, on this fresh listen, it, it was the musicality that stood out to me. And this time I noticed you've got these amazing fills and licks <laughs> that kind of like 
sort of toy with the momentum of the song throughout the song. These great little things. Um, you know, it, it, that's not unusual when you listen to a, a whole band perform a song, but it's pretty unusual for a solo guitarist to be able to do that. I'm just basically, I'm noticing that you're a sick guitar player. So um, very, very cool. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, but so, okay, so my next comment goes to... Um, your lyrics. I love when a songwriter can pull off starting a song with something that kind of smacks you across the face um, in a way that you love. Um, I had, again, your buddy Peter Mulvey on the show recently, and we listened to his wonderful song, Just Before the War, mm -hmm. which starts, we used to hate that little fucker. Mm -hmm. um, he commented that oftentimes when he sings that, someone in the audience laughs because it makes him so uncomfortable. They don't know how to respond. Um, I also think of Annie DeFranco, who was a huge influence on both of us. Her song, Subdivision, starts, white people are so scared of black people. I'm not sure I've ever heard a song start out um, as radically honest as you have here, where you say, um, founding fathers, free spirit men, some grew hemp on their plantations, all had slaves, but they didn't free them, all had slaves, and some fucked them. You're, talking, you're taking on our country's legacy of slavery, sexism, male domination, sexual <laughs> violence, and you're taking it on head on. And you know, it's powerful and amazing. It's also uncomfortable, and that feels like an important part of the message to me. You being comfortable isn't the most important thing. If we're gonna be real enough with each other to change the world, we're gonna have to be uncomfortable because the truth is frequently pretty fucking uncomfortable, painful, awful and you know we've got to face it together so anyway that's um i i i'm love i like the way you begin this song and um any any comment about any of that um well yeah i i'm not afraid to make people uncomfortable um and you're right it it forward movement is going to require discomfort at the least <laughs> and no one likes discomfort and um and no one wants to provide it you know i've had other artists say to me i'm glad you're saying what you're saying because i'm too afraid to um that's yep. a, a bummer yeah you know? <laughs> it's an irritating thing to hear <laughs> at the least <laughs> but yeah you know, also, I kind of don't have a choice because totally. I am in discomfort most of the fucking time. Yep. And so if I'm going to write about anything, honestly, which I think is necessary for good art, yep. uh, it has to have honesty, whatever your medium, your platform, um, it's going to involve uncomfortable moments uh, that come from truth. It's not designed to be malicious or to make you uncomfortable. It's just the truth. And, um, you know, also that particular song pisses me off. The chorus are his actual words. James mm. Madison, he wrote in the late teen 1700s, Federalist Paper number 51, uh, when all these little property-owning white dudes were figuring out how do we make a country, who's going to have power, who's going to get to vote, 
who's going to have any say is going to be propertied white men. And how do we ensure that? Um, what, what, what are we really trying to do? Well, we have to ensure that uh, the minority of the opulent is protected from the majority. That means That's like incredible. our little rich, richy richies need to be protected from these dumbasses who <laughs> have to work their own oxen or whatever, you know? And yeah, they're still doing it. They're still, they're doing, still it. doing nothing. It. Nothing has changed. It's just gotten more and more clever uh, right. at different ways to achieve that. And so I'm just doing my due diligence as a citizen of this country to take in the <laughs> words of the founding father and to further break them down so the rest of us can really understand what the fuck he was saying uh, and what they were all saying, what they still say. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just get to it. Oh, let's <laughs> so get I to it. I started out the gate, yeah. Uh, hell nice yeah. Little, I love alliteration as a mm-hmm. writer, so founding yeah. father's free spirit, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, a part of me. Sometimes I change. Uh, all had slaves didn't free them. All had slaves and some fucked them. Sometimes I change that to rape. Yeah, because that's really the word. They didn't yep. have affairs. Right, with black women. They raped them. Right. Um, Thomas Jefferson raped Sally Hemings. Um, so, and that's even more uncomfortable. To yeah, sing. Right. Uh, to I'm hear, sure. but but since I've recorded that song, uh, I'll change that word often. Yeah, a lot of because because you know smart. to not change it, it diminishes the truth. Totally, what really happened. Absolutely, and and I and I kind of regret that I didn't do that at the start. Uh-huh. It's it's amazing that this incredibly bold first verse you regret not making even bolder. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, I I see that that's who you are, and and also and how amazing that you've repurposed his ridiculous statement that this statement is in the Federalist Papers that the purpose of the government is to protect the rich from the poor that that they were yeah. so brazen they didn't even think they had to hide it they just wrote it right there yeah. that is yeah. incredible, mm-hmm. and I love that you've put this to song. Um, I like how you call him Jimmy James feels like an elegant way to take this celebrated white racist rapist historical figure down a notch or maybe 10 notches mm-hmm. um and uh i like um I, I it also has a nice aesthetic quality like it it, it sounds cool in song form um so does two-party system seems like one gold at the top and the rest on the rickety rickety rungs rickety rackety rungs yeah. um you know, it's like you, it's it's fun the way you're having fun with the language of a song that's not dealing with fun things. Mm-hmm. Like again, this is I, I enjoy the artistry. You know, it's like our our songs, at some level, are meant to entertain. And even revolutionary songs. I mean, it's like who, who said if if I can't dance in your revolution, I don't want any part of it or whatever that right. that quote right. is. You know, it's like you, if you don't make it accessible to people and don't make these really crucial things part of human being life where we relate to each other and care about each other and have fun with each other, the, you know, we can't really accomplish <laughs> any of these things that we're trying to accomplish. And I feel like your song adds to that nicely. Um, yeah, anyway, similarly to the, to the boogie on part of Black Bear, I feel like you're going out of your way to be playful with 
difficult subject matter. Um, again, on the thread of aesthetics, you mentioned the, uh, the alliteration. I like the verse where almost every word starts with a P, prying perverts, police populations, prisons populate, profits, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S, profits, P-R-O-F-I-T-S, predictions, politicians, salivate. That's a lot of P's in a row. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, the letter P is so percussive. This verse reminds me of one of my favorite lyricists, which is Tupac Shakur, who mm. often uses consonants in this way to, you know, to turn his voice into a drum. Um, I don't know if you're a hip hop head like yes. I am. Yes. Yeah. So I just, I, I feel, you know, a rap or slam poetry influence here. Does that occur to you when you're, when you're doing it? Absolutely. Mm. Um, I mean, I I would like to cover a Tupac tune. Um, I haven't found one that I can own yet. I did. Uh, I used to do Big Papa for a oh, while. Oh, sweet. And, and I actually recorded it. And is that? I and love then, it when you call me Big Papa. That one. Right. Put your hands <clears> in the air. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of sassy to reclaim some of that language, like. I see, so you should be having my baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, Fantastic. But then George Floyd happened, and I was mixing and mastering that record at the time, Pamela Means and the Reparations, and mm. it didn't feel right to, you know, there's a lot of N-word in that tune. Yep. And even yep. before that, it's like, eh, yeah. And I tried to, I went back into the studio to make a, um, see if we could, you know, wiki 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 the all those the words out to still mm-hmm. release it and it was too many it too was much car- cartoonish um, I hear that so I didn't release it and I, I don't regret that it didn't didn't feel right so sure but I do want to uh I've been doing a Mac Miller tune oh wow yeah <laughs> um and that's cool to reclaim he's still a white dude he's I love sure. Mac Miller sure but um when I do cover that, I, I work to be really mindful at also covering black and brown artists and queer artists. So I would still like to find another hip hop tune. Yeah. Or even Lauren Hill or something. But some of this stuff is just like, so. Whoo. Yeah. She's, she's, she's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm uh, very influenced by all of that. And also I say frequently, Duke Ellington said there are only two kinds of music, good and all the rest. And so wow. I just love to absorb all the good stuff, everything I can find. That's great. I love that. I used to play um, uh, Biggie Small's Hypnotize on the mm-hmm. Boston subways when I was playing the subways. Nice. Um, you know, also a problematic song in some ways, and I, you know, adjust it. But um, about 10 years ago, I was playing Pac's uh, Dear Mama mm. uh, on... on, on I just decided to play it on a tour. And that one is, it's such a beautiful love song and is really start to finish. There's, you know, there's nothing that I think is hard for any particular group. It's just a really genuine love song to his mother who, you know, and and the ways that she was victimized as a, you know, raised poor black female and all the things that she did for him and, you know, her brilliance and her strength. And it's such a celebration of her life. I love that one. Jay-Z has a nice tribute to his mother, too, Smile, on his 444 album. Oh, oh that uh, is? She, she came out later in life, and it's really beautiful. It is a beautiful song. Yeah. I, 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 I fancied myself a, like a, a arty, art house rap fan for a long time, and then when the Black Album dropped, I, I just had to, re- I had to reconcile, I had to reckon with the fact that Jay-Z was my favorite rapper. 
and I had I had discounted him as pop and as fluff, and uh, and to this day I you know I, there, nobody speaks to me like like Hove does. Uh, mm-hmm. I love what he does, um, you know. Obviously, not, Same, not I, I come to either. things late. You know, I didn't listen to Mac Miller until he was gone. Uh, I wasn't deep into Jay Z except for what his hits, but until the um, video with um, that sampled Nina Simone on his 444 album. Oh, uh, I haven't seen that one. It's kicking around in my head as well, but I can't remember. I'm a little bit less yeah, familiar with that yeah, record. The, yeah, the video is really incredible. With all, well, all those racist caricatures of monkeys and stuff from um, back in the early 20th century. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm going to have to go check it out. Mm-hmm. We'll, have to, we'll have to talk Jay-Z and Mac Miller <laughs> and hip-hop another time in, in more detail. Well, to finish out the show, we'll each share one cool thing. That's something that's piqued your interest or even something you've been mildly obsessed with that you think our listeners might enjoy. Uh, do you want to go first or me? Well, I, I'm, uh, I'm obsessed with um, cosmology. And if I had another life, I would be an astrophysicist. Uh, our cosmologist and study the universe and um, I'm deeply interested and fascinated with all things um, <clears throat> billions of years and evolution and light years and uh, you know having grown up in Wisconsin and, and I went to Lutheran schools which are which were very fundamentalists stupid, ignorant, racist, um, but also taught, still teaches, I don't think they've changed anything, that the earth is 6,000 years old and mm-hmm. dinosaurs <laughs> are fake because the devil, you know, is tricking us with the footprints. And and I believed wow. all that until early adulthood. Wow. Sure, as you would. Uh, and, I, and also, actually, side note, I have uh, an understanding of how evangelicals are immovable in their positions because mm-hmm. you're talking about, in their frame of mind, um, eternal stuff. So the people who are really believe <laughs> this dumb shit, mm-hmm. they're not changing their mind because I didn't and I would have fought you, you know, would have arm wrestled you about this stuff. Wow. Um, until, until for me, in fact, uh, I think I'm, had I not been a, a queer person, I would have never come to a point where I had to question and then reconcile, if I could, the messages of gays go to hell, the d- dinosaurs are fake, or are you just going to, are you going to listen to your true self and be yourself? And, um, and I chose to be true to myself. And so there's, there was no parallel. Uh, <clears throat> there was no coming together of uh, those disparate parts. The, the dinosaurs are fake, then Moses wrote the Bible, and I'm a lesbian. <laughs> they weren't going to come together in that world. So right. I had to let one go. Mm. And I let the one that feels like a cartoon go. And when I lived in Plainfield, 
I could see the Milky Way every night, and it reignited my interest and passion in the stars and the universe, and I started to memorize all the constellations and really get deep into it. And the more that I thought about how old the Earth is, um, all of these things, the religion that I grew up believing just seemed more and more ridiculous. And sure. what I was learning about is the truth, but it would be considered radical um, or you know hypocrisy or that's not the word blasphemous right blasphemous it's blasphemous to think that no the earth the everything is like 12 and a half billion years old like so that is a deep passion and interest for me to fill in all the gaps of that kind of knowledge that was denied oh. to me until I went to seek it for myself. Right. Yeah, so. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's really interesting. And my Patreon page has a little bit of a theme to Cosmos stuff, so that's one little place I get to let that out. And I wrote a little tune about being an astrophysicist. That's the, on there. Oh, that's so cool. Um, now that you're mentioning it, uh, we, are you at uh, patreon.com slash Pamela Means? Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. So anybody who wants to become a patron, uh, head on over there. Uh, yeah, my... right now you can join for free because I'm from Wisconsin and it's difficult to ask for money in all these different platforms now. So I'm like, yep. you can just, just join. You can just, everybody can have access to everything that's up there. So. Totally. <laughs> totally. Although since you're mentioning Patreon and asking for money, I'm a, kind of a, a devotee of Amanda Palmer, who wrote a book called The Art of Asking. Did you read this book? No, but I, of course, know her history. Of course, you know her. She's right, yeah. from Boston. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I feel like everybody who has a Patreon should read that book because she's such a genius about okay. asking. The thing that most touched me from her book, this isn't my one cool thing, but I'm going to include it anyway, is um, she said uh, to... To demand of someone is to say, I'm better than you. And to beg from someone is to say, you're better than me. But when we ask, it's an act of equality mm. and something that we do together. So she's, anyway, she's really yeah, I'm gonna look so smart about yeah. it. Yeah, it's so hard for most of us to ask, you know? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, my one cool thing is a new comedy hour on Netflix by Michelle Wolf. Um, people will remember her as having, for many reasons, she was um, a um, correspondent on The Daily Show for a long time. She, um, I think most famously, hosted the, oh, I'm blanking on what it's called, the presidential, what is the dinner that, yeah, that correspondence. The corp the, thank you, the presidential correspondence dinner. She was the host of that during the Trump era. It was incredibly bold. Uh, she was so bold that uh, Trump uh, tried to end the president's correspondence dinner in the wake of her having hosted it because she was such a badass. Anyway, I love Michelle Wolf. Her previous comedy hour is also very good. This new one, um, it's edgy, it's funny, and it's like it's so thoughtful. She's, she does such a nice job of really trying to think about important things. She's irreverent about them, as comedians are wont to be, but um, she really never compromises on um, just how smart she is. 
So I think this, it's three different 20, it's like, instead of being one hour, it's three 20 minute segments from three different cities. Okay. And uh, I think they're really good. <clears throat> I love stand up. Love stand up. If you got Netflix, it's free. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Pamela Means, it was so great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Muhammad. It's been an honor. You can find everything Pamela Means at PamelaMeans.com, including her tour dates, music lessons, and workshops. You can also find uh, where to listen to her music there. All of this will be in the show notes, as will be a link to her Patreon. I'm Muhammad Seven. You can find me at MuhammadSeven.com. That's M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D and S-E-V-E-N, like the number. There you can find my music and tour dates, as well as how to get in touch if you're interested in songwriting, coaching, or lessons. Uh, again, you can become a patron via the link in the show notes or by searching for Muhammad Seven patreon.com if you'd like to ask a question about songwriting and have me and my guest uh, discuss it on the show you can send those to me via social media message or by email just check the link tree for uh, those um, you can also find it in the show notes uh, many thanks to Andrea32 who left this review of the show on Apple Podcasts she said just listen to the first podcast very insightful right out the gate he and Mira got to the process of songwriting that is unique to each individual. Already following, we flew off the page. Looking forward to more. Thanks so much for listening. Andrea32. I'll leave you today with this quote from John Lennon, who said, A dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. I'll see you back here next time on We Flew Off the Page. <laughs>